Welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, chatting to some of the UK's leading business professionals, sharing tips, insights, and advice on how to create amazing customer experiences whilst building bigger, better, and more profitable businesses as a result. What can you do in your business today and in the years to come to truly delight your clients? What exceptional experiences can you give them to take away and cherish? How can you delight the most important person in the world? Satisfaction makes you one of many. Delighting clients makes you the only one. And you can't be just one. You have to be the only one. Hello and welcome to the Only One Business Show with me, your host, James Nathan, and I have got a really exciting guest for you today. This gentleman is a globally recognized authority on how organizations and professionals create distinction to attract and retain customers and stand out in a hyper-competitive marketplace. His recent book, Iconic, How Organizations and Leaders Attain, Sustain and Regain the Ultimate Levels of Distinction, was recently named on Forbes.com as a top 10 business book of the year for 2018. The first edition of his book, Create Distinction, What to Do When Great Isn't Good Enough to Grow Your Business, was named by 30 major newspapers as one of the top 10 business books of the year. His expertise has been quoted multiple times in USA Today, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and International Herald Tribune. His commentaries were syndicated on a weekly basis for over a decade to 80 television stations in the US, Canada, and in Australia, and he's appeared multiple times as a guest on Fox News Network. Arnold Schwarzenegger booked him for a presentation at the White House with none other than the President of the United States in the audience. Wow. His client list represents some of the world's most distinctive companies like Apple, SAP, Merrill Lynch, BMW, Cisco, CDW, Fidelity, John Deere, the list literally goes on and on for hundreds more. And he was honoured recently with induction in, alongside Zig Ziglar, Seth Godin and Dale Carnegie and just 20 other people into the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame. I'm really excited and truly delighted to welcome to the show Scott McCain. Scott, how are you? James, I, man, after that introduction, it, it, I, I'm great. <laughs> I got to make sure to play that for my wife. <laughs> Do you know what? I've said that a few times to people, Scott. You know, you have a chat with them and you read the introduction and you sit back and you think, wow, I'm pretty good, aren't I? But that's uh, that, that Arnold Schwarzenegger booked you for the White House. Tell me about that. How did that come about? You know, it's it's a funny story. I, I was giving a speech. I was living in Indianapolis, Indiana in the in the States at the time and was uh-huh. giving a speech and I walk out on stage and I didn't know he's going to be in the audience. And I looked down and there he is. It, <laughs> it was, it, it was, it was a, a, a physical fitness and health group that he had been a part of before he became famous. Right. And so it was one of the few places he could go where they didn't treat him like a movie star, right? Because they'd known him forever and he continued to be involved in the organization. And he was at that time, the uh, president of the uh, or the chairman of the president's council of fitness and sports in the United States. Right, right. So he comes up after the speech and he said, uh, "Gosh, I really like that. Uh, uh, I, we're going to work together someday." And I, I just, you know, I laughed to myself. What a gracious thing to say! Mm-hmm. What a nice man! But there's no way it's ever going to happen. And the phone rings in my office, and he, and uh, it's his office calling, for, you know, and, and wanting to connect the two of us so that he can ask if I would speak at and be the master of ceremonies of this program on the White House lawn for the President's Council on Fitness and Sports. James, the really funny part about it was 
one of my best pals was a radio personality in Atlanta, Georgia, who does impressions, including Arnold. <laughs> right. So naturally, I assumed so it was my long no time old buddy, yeah, yeah. Doing Arnold. And uh, so, I, you know, he asked if I'd do it. And I said, hey, yeah, yeah, great. I'm so casual. Yeah, the date's <laughs> open and here's my fee. Yeah. And he said, well, you know, this is with the president. And this is a charity. I, I thought you, you know, you would uh, do this uh, uh, gratis, you know, that you would you would do it for this complimentary basis. Right. And thinking I'm talking to my friend, I, I told him what part of my anatomy he could kiss. <laughs> that, that uh, you know, did you do your last movie for nothing? I come on. <laughs> oh, damn well, it. Well, there's this silence. And then he started laughing. He said, you know what? You're exactly right. Everyone else is donating their time, but this isn't what they do for a living. This is what you do for a living. Yes, we'll sign the contract. And he said, by the way, if you get a chance, tell, and it was the name of the, of the person that ran the meeting in Indianapolis, mm -hmm. tell them hello for me. So all of a sudden I realized my friend has no idea who that person was. <laughs> this really is. Wrong. Yeah. And I, I was just, I would never have done that. You know, I, I just, so I hang up the phone and I'm just, I'm blown. I'm so shocked. Well, so fast forward. Now I get to the event, right? And, and, uh, the woman, uh, Annie, who ran Arnold's office for, for many, many, many years, uh, meets me. And the first thing I did was to profusely apologize. I hope he wasn't offended. I would never, I, you know, and explain the story mm -hmm. and she broke up, she laughed and then she got very serious. And she said, whatever you do, you can never tell him that story. <laughs> and I'm like, why? She said, he's told everybody he knows you do your last move for nothing he thinks it's <laughs> fabulous because nobody stands up to him right no who, who stands up to Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's and she said he loves it that you stood up to him yeah and he's told everybody that story so to this day I don't think Arnold knows that part of the story the, the other funny thing is um, uh, I, I was at uh, a hotel where I was giving a speech in Los Angeles and uh, my wife and I are waiting on my you know the valley to bring our car around a mm -hmm. real car around and Big Limo pulls up and Arnold gets out and she's elbowing me because she doesn't know we weren't married at that time. Uh -huh. And so she's always wondered, is that story true or not? And uh, he takes a couple steps past us and then stops and pivots and says, hey, what are you doing here? And he said, <laughs> by the way, I'm getting paid to be here. Were you? <laughs> so it was he could not have been nicer. And I'm sorry to go on so long about the story. No, it, no, it, no, uh, please. It was absolutely a, a mountaintop experience, and uh, it, it really led to many other great things in, in the speaking business. Well, well you know, as, as a kid of the 70s, Scott, uh, you know, he's one of my absolute, you know, favorite film star idols. So, uh, you know, you, you said you you needed to be paid. If he'd just done the, the Terminator voice for me, I'd have done yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been enough payment for me. I was hoping like a Terminator 18, I could say, I'll be back too, you know, but <laughs> – <laughs> of course. And did you meet the president when you were, when he was in the audience? Oh, that's another funny story. So I got a buddy that worked at the White House at the time. And I said, I'm really terrified of the surroundings. You know, I, I know that I'll, I know what I'm going to say and I know that, but it, you know, to, to, to speak it's in the, the White House the is White the backdrop. House, yeah. I said, is there any way that I could like the day before you know, walk through this and just kind of get a practice where nobody's around. And I can just, he said, yeah, he said, I can fix that. So I get to the white house. Well, it's on the lawn of the white house. And, and this guy had so much juice. He was, he was one of the people that could walk in the oval office. And so he, uh, he arranged it and he said, you're going to go out there. He said, nobody's going to be around you, you know, just walk up. And, and so I walk up the steps, I stand on the platform, the, the lectern is already there. And 
I kind of go through, I thought in my head what I was going to say. I thought, well, I'll try it again. I walk back down, walk back up. I thought I was doing it in my head. Evidently, I was not because as I'm going through in my head, eyes half closed, what I'm going to say, I hear from beside of me, Scott, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And there stands Arnold Schwarzenegger and President Bush. Oh, my goodness. Okay. They were in the Oval Office talking about what was going to happen the next day. Uh And the president looks out the window and says, who is that out there by himself talking to himself? (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful story. That's my my speaker tomorrow. (laughs) What a wonderful story. How did he get out there by himself? So he came out and uh, I had the, you know, the the first time you meet the president of the United States, you don't want it to be because you're you're talking to yourself by yourself on the White House lawn. But uh, when I explained that my friend, Fred McClure had gotten me there, the president laughed and and Arnold laughed and we just had a great time. And, And, you know, the funny thing about it was my embarrassment even made for a uh, a better day the next day because after everything was over and I thanked the president for the privilege of, you know, of being there, he mm-hmm. said, uh, you know, I think I need to start talking to myself if <laughs> before my speeches, if that will well, make my language come un- out better. Unfortunately, I think uh, in the years gone since then, uh, some of them do talk to themselves a bit too much. <laughs> but, uh, I'm not going to get political on the on you at all. I've uh, I've just finished Iconic. I loved the book. Um, oh, thank you, James. It's, uh, it's you know I, I'm a, a voracious reader of business books, and it's um it's one of my my recent favourites. What's the difference though between a distinctive business and an iconic business? How would you say? In, in you know, how would you describe that? Great question. I appreciate you asking that because I've, I've really given that a lot of thought. It's okay to be distinctive. You don't have to be iconic, but distinctive means that you you are noted as being remarkable, that you stand out in your specific field. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, it might mean there are a lot of plumbers in London, but when people think about a plumber, you're the one they think about. You you are distinctive because of of what you do. Yep. In my old hometown of Indianapolis, I, part of the reason I use plumbers is, is the example. Um, it, in my old hometown of Indianapolis, there is a a plumber that has you know several plumbers working for him and the sign on the side of their truck say we'll show up on time we won't stink and you won't see our butt crack <laughs> well, everybody jokes about it you know and well, laughs about it them, you? yeah but just, i think what do you want from a plumber you want them to show up and they said they're going to show up yeah. you, you don't want them you know smelling like they've been working all day and for god's sakes you don't want to you don't want to see that cleavage when they you know get under the sink and they have these special shirts with longer tails, and and everybody talks about them, and they are distinctive in in our community. Yeah. And so that's what distinction means. Iconic is when you get to the point that you've transcended your industry. Uh huh. So in other words, when we think about, but and it doesn't have to be a, a global business. Uh, using Indianapolis again, you read about the the steakhouse St. Elmo's there. Mm-hmm. It's it's not that every other restaurant wants to be St. Elmo's. Every business in Indianapolis wants to have the type of employee engagement and loyalty that they have, yeah. that wants to have the type of customer retention that they have. So they become iconic because they are a model of what businesses want to do, not just in their own industry. They've transcended their field to, to be universally respected. Mm-hmm. And that that's a higher level of performance. That's a higher level of distinction 
and and it's it's even more difficult to reach. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I get how you know small businesses, corner shops, you know your local deli, the guy who makes the amazing bread, the little pizza joint, whatever it might be. It's easy for them to become very special to have that close attachment to their their client base. But when businesses get bigger, that's when it gets tricky, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it really does. You're exactly right. It, it, but yet what we have to do is to find a way to r- retain that. I, I think you've really nailed one of the most difficult challenges, I think, James, for business, uh, is that as we grow, how do we retain that very aspect that made us special and enabled us to grow in the first place, right? Yeah. If, we're, yeah. if, if we get two locations and they're not succeeding, we're not going to get to eight. Yeah. But, but once we get to eight or 10 or a, a 500 locations, how do we retain that very essence that made us unique and made us distinctive at the beginning? And I think that's one of the hardest things to do in business, but I, I really think it begins with clarity like, that uh-huh. the values of what we do, um, you know, who we are and, 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 and what we're all about, when, when those are transmitted throughout the organization and those remain constant, even though the size of the organization changes, I, I think that's, that's the first step. That's, mm-hmm. that's the essence of, of what we have to achieve. And so few businesses do that well. A lot of businesses, we've been talking about this on this podcast show a bit recently, where you, yeah. know, you go into a business and they've got their values on a wall and everyone pays lip service to them because they're not truly the values. They're just a load of words they thought might be a good idea. How do you get to the real values? You know, a, a friend of mine, Robbie Richmond, tells a, a great story, and, and all credit to him for, for this story. Mm-hmm. But uh, Robbie worked at Zappos. Uh-huh. And one of the things, one of the values of Zappos is total transparency. Mm-hmm. And Robbie tells the story from the stage that uh, he wanted to help people at Zappos. So he had a meeting of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, that he held at Zappos. Right. And they called him in the office and they said, this is worthwhile, but it's against our values because once it becomes a secret meeting or an anonymous meeting, it is against uh, the values of our company. Right. Even to the point, if you don't appreciate those values, you may need to work someplace else. And he said, that was the day that I fell in love with Zappos. <laughs> when, when it became clear that they would terminate um, a new star hire employee at a, at a really, really high level in the company, they would, they would fire me because I, I wasn't adhering to their values. Mm-hmm. And he said, they, they talked about it and they found a way to work it out. But he said, that's what I, he said, that's, that's when values have meaning. And, and I really learned a lot from that story, from Robbie's story, because it, it's to your point, which is dead on James, they put them on the wall but they don't hold people accountable for transgressions. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there's a line I use that you read in Iconic, what you tolerate is what you've really endorsed. Yep. So if I will tolerate someone getting by with not adhering to those values on the wall, then I pretty much endorse that you don't have to follow it. And very few leaders are willing to draw the line in the sand and say, at this point, we, you, I don't care who you are in the company, you're not going to cross it. Mm-hmm. Yet folks like you and me deal all the time with companies that want to know, oh, what should I do? This person's a great performer, but yet they alienate some of their team. And they're not willing to stand up for the values that they proclaim. I, my, my background, is, as I'm sure you know, is, is a lot of time in recruitment. And, and I talk yes. about values a lot, very much in terms of hiring against core values. 
So understanding what the business really is, what the, the life's butter of that business is and what you truly believe, and then hiring people with complementary core values so that they sit in line with the business. And I think that's a very, very difficult thing to do. Zappos is a really great example. Did it change for Zappos after the Amazon uh, purchase? Uh, that's one of the things I've, I've always wondered. And I, and I live in Las Vegas now, so I, I live where, where- Right, so you're not far from there. Yeah, not far from the headquarters. And I haven't noticed, I, I, have I noticed a change? Yes. Is it as significant as I thought it might be? No. Right. I, I think, you know, at the end of the day, Zap, I'm sorry, at the end of the day, Amazon could have gone out and started selling shoes and competed with Zappos. Sure. Um, what, what they bought was the culture. Mm. Uh, it was easier to acquire it than to create it or recreate it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, James, you brought you brought up something that I, I, I'm fascinated by as well, and that is hiring. You know, a, a, with those values, uh, at some point too, it helps be it helps you become self selecting, doesn't it? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's one of the things that that a lot of business leaders overlook is that if we're if we're so clear about our values, people that aren't willing to adhere to those don't apply to work with us anyway. I mean, if I want massages uh, during my coffee break, uh, Amazon is not the place I need to be working. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, I've kind of self-selected myself towards Google. If, if I want to bust it and really make, you know, uh, uh, an impact on retail, uh, then then Amazon's a wonderful place for me to work. I, I, I think that when our values are clear, it, it gets to the point, too, that it helps us self-select which enhances the value of, of our team. And then the customers that come to the business are people who identify with that style of business and, and the whole thing becomes self-perpetuating. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to talk about Zappos and Amazon and, you know, Nordstrom and Ritz-Carlton and all these wonderful businesses who have this really great service ethic. But what about other businesses? Who do you see, who, who are the real shining stars of service these days that aren't the big, you know, the big cliche businesses? Yeah, and, and that's such an important question, James, because I think that we've, we have overused those examples to, to the point that it, it gives people a convenient excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, we'll, we'll never be Apple. We'll never be Zappos. We'll never be, you know, insert cliche here. Yep. Uh, kind of thing, and that, and that's why in the book I, I try to use examples like the the multimillionaire chimney sweep in Nashville, Tennessee, uh-huh. uh, that that built a business on the same kind of thing, showing up on time, doing the job, and and changing the thinking of what his business was all about. He stopped selling "We'll sweep your chimney" and started selling home safety. Right, and and that type of thinking, uh, I believe, is a unique part of what it's going to take to, to make a difference in the marketplace. Because when you're selling fire safety or just home safety to begin with, mm-hmm. all of a sudden it opened up other avenues. You know, while our chimney sweep is in the house, uh, you mentioned that you have a young child. Do you mind if we do a free inspection to, to make certain the home is childproof? Yep. Fabulous. And it leads to so many other things. You know, when you mention that, I look at that and I think, cause we talk, talk about the benefit of the benefit and, you know, the only reason you would want your chimney swept is so it doesn't catch fire. There's no other yeah. reason why a chimney needs sweeping apart from the fact that you don't want the building to burn down. So, you know, in in essence, that's really the reason we hire him. And he's telling you it's great. Yeah, but so many, particularly in smaller businesses, 
focus on the function, not the result. Mm -hmm. And that's where I see so many small business owners missing the mark and mid-sized business as well. Recently, I spoke for a group of owners of auto body shops, car repair shops. Uh And I, you know, having fun with the crowd. I said, raise your hand if you got into this business because all you want to do is talk to people and serve customers. Nobody raised their <laughs> hand, right? Yep. How, how many of you got in this business because you want to work on cars? Everybody Everyone. raised their hand, yep. right? But I said, here's the, here's the missing element. The, the fact is all of you here do good work. I'm sure some do better than others, but if you weren't doing good work, you wouldn't be in business anymore. I mean, the marketplace is too demanding. Sure. But it's how you deal with those customers and it's how you create these experiences and it's how you set yourself apart from your competition through that. That's what's going to eliminate the, the, the challenge that you're constantly facing, the pressure that you're constantly facing. And, and it was, it's really hard to get that across because particularly in small and mid-sized business, the reason people got in that business is because they love that they love sweeping chimneys, yep, right? Yep. They yeah, love yeah. working on cars. They love that. And they're ill-equipped and ill-trained to, to deal with the challenges that we face with customers. Well, running a business is a totally different thing to doing a job. Um, and, you know, yeah, I, I know well, you work yeah. with professionals. I work with a lot of law firms and accounting firms. And, you know, you don't become a lawyer or an accountant because you really want to grow a business. At essence, you do it because you really want to do the doing, just like you go bashing panels of a car. Running a business is a whole different thing. Looking after people is a totally different thing. But the guys who are good at it, they're great, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, they get that. And, and you know, it, it's it, you make such a great point. I, I was speaking to a group of surgeons. I, I was the first non-surgeon to ever keynote this meeting. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the things that one of the surgeons said to me was this. He said, I, I graduated from college, graduated from medical school, did my internship, my residency, uh, started my practice and realized I had never, ever taken a single course on bedside manner, the patient experience. Right. And he said, now I'm expected to grow my practice without knowledge of what grows my practice. Because everybody that graduated and did all the work I did, you know, everybody can, you know, this was cosmetic surgeons, you mm-hmm. know, everybody can do a nose job. Everybody can do a breast implant. Right but it's how we create our business and how we become good business people. And so I'm telling that story and the the CEO of the company I was speaking to came up and he said, you know, it struck me when you were telling that story, I got my MBA without taking a course on the customer experience. (laughs) And isn't that amazing? We have, so in small business, we have all these folks that gravitated there because the product in bigger business, we have certified a generation of leaders based on, the balance sheet and the PL statement and EBITDA and all of these accounting measures mm-hmm. and not on the intangibles that get customers to repeat their business and refer your business. And, and I think that's part of why many businesses just don't get why they're not as successful as they should be. Has that changed though, Scott? Is that, I mean, because it obviously the world is smaller, their business becoming a global business is easier um, you know, access to funding not different nowadays, but has that really in essence changed? I, I think we're right in the midst of that. And I, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I know a lot of people knock it, but I, I think it's part of the, the change that millennials in the marketplace are helping to drive that it's, mm-hmm. it's gotta be about more than just, can you wring every cent out of a customer that you possibly can? 
I, I, I did yeah. a blog post this weekend on, on uh, an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about businesses that evaluated customer breakpoint. And what that was is how long can we string them along before they leave us and do business elsewhere? Uh-huh. I find that reprehensible, you know, but, but I had that happen with, with a, a cable TV company, right? It, it wasn't until yeah. I complained and, and they sent technicians to the house and I said, well, cancel my account. Oh, what if we, and they offered me a better offer, which obviously they yeah. could have done at the beginning as a way of saying, thank you for putting up with all these problems. But the better offer just reinforced they were not the kind of company I wanted to do business with. And you're just a commodity, aren't you? Uh, you're just you're just another number to them. Exactly. Who cares? You know, we'll get another one. They think um, they will, yeah. but yet the road is littered with, uh, you name it. I mean, we can all name a number of businesses that failed simply because they they took customers for granted to the point that customers said, you know, there's too many options out there in the marketplace now. See that mm-hmm. that's what it overlooks, yep. right? I mean, they have the financials on what customer breakpoint is, but but what they what they don't have is a long term view. And, and that's part of what we got to get away from is this short term thinking, because the the long term view is they're they're doomed. I mean, it's why, you know, look, look at cable companies and all of us now, you know, subscribing to over the top networks and and cutting the mm-hmm. cord. Well, it just it, it gets me when retail groups say, well, it's the Amazon effect. If it wasn't for Amazon, we'd be in business. <laughs> Seriously? No. That's a convenient no, no, excuse. No. If you're if your experience that you're providing customers isn't better than what Amazon is delivering, you don't deserve their business. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I I I talked to a friend of mine runs a um, a clothing store, and we have a lot of conversations around this. And you know, Amazon has not killed the high street. The the high street killed the high street. Yes. You know, yeah. the strip malls disappear because they don't look after people enough and they don't care enough. And I'm at, you know, Amazon is not that cheap. You know, people think, oh, it's cheap. It's Amazon. Is it hell? It's not, but it's convenient and it's, and it's seamless and convenience and ease of use are things that we, you know, we, we're drawn to. We, we absolutely love. And our competition is a click away. Yes. Everyone's competition is a click away. And that's a lot closer than it used to be. And millennials, I don't like the term millennial pretty it, – it, it worries me now because millennials are about to turn 40. Right. Right? So anyone born after 1980 is a millennial. So, if to, you know, it, it, they don't seem so young. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, there is an expectation that things will be done right the first time and if it's not done right the first time, it'll be it'll be made right the first time. And that's part of what helps businesses stand out, isn't it? But what does it take? What does it really take to get a business to stand out in in the market that is so quick? Well, I think uh, there there was one of the points I made in the book uh, about go negative. And that was one of the really shocking things to me about the research was that iconic organizations actively seek out the negative. Uh, There was a study at Texas A&M University here in the States that was really fascinating. And it was on how ineffective SWOT analysis is, the strengths, opportunities, weaknesses, and threats in many organizations right. because many leaders don't want to hear about weaknesses. And so the, the specific example in the study was uh, the company that had bad brand image and they've identify, identified that they had a bad image of their brand in the marketplace and they put that under opportunities. <laughs> well, that's, if, you, right. if your image isn't good in the marketplace, that is a weakness. You know, I mean, if we're not willing to identify what's wrong maybe that's part of what's wrong and 
what often happens is that if there's a problem with the customer, as you mentioned, you know, we expect it right the first time and mm-hmm. companies have gotten really good at placating the customer. We'll fix that customer's issue so they go away happy, but not enough of us are assertively asserting negativity. And by that, I mean, we, we dig deeper. We want to find out what's wrong with yeah. the process that created that dissatisfied customer to begin with, because if we don't fix the process, we're going to continue to create these occasionally dissatisfied customers. Where's the friction in the process? What is wrong with the execution? And, and, and companies have to be willing to, to go into the negative like that. In terms of what creates distinction, it's, it's four points. Number one is clarity. It gets back to what we talked about earlier about being crystal clear about what your, what your values are and, and what your focus is. Then from there, it's creativity, which doesn't mean mm-hmm. chaos. It doesn't mean you know blowing everything up. It means it's finding one unique aspect about why people should do business with you. If, if there's nothing different about you, your product or service, why wouldn't I choose a cheaper alternative or why wouldn't I choose the competition? So what is there in terms of innovation or creativity and whether it's the product or the service or, or the customer experience that, that sets you apart? Third is communication. Uh, that, that's why what you're doing, James, here is so important. I mean, the, the, the ability to uh, communicate ideas and, and part of what we're growing to understand as well is the, the one form of communication that works across all generations is narrative. Everybody loves a good story Yet very few organizations are good at telling their story and, and yeah. focus on that compelling narrative. And the fourth and final is the customer experience focus. What, what's it feel like to do business with you? How are you creating a compelling experience that I, as a customer, would want to repeat and refer? So when you do those four, uh, clarity, creativity, communication, customer experience, focus, when, when you're mm-hmm. ex- executing at all four of those cornerstones, you, you you've made the progress that it takes to stand out in your respective field. Fantastic, and that that negative thing you mentioned previously, mm-hmm. when you look when when as soon as you mentioned customer experience focus, I think so many businesses say they're customer focused, yeah, and uh, and they're not. They focus on what they can get, yeah. um, truly focusing on the customers, understanding what you're doing that the customer doesn't like as much as what they do. I know when you I, I was I was watching. Um, a video of, of, of one of your, your talks recently, and you were talking about um, describing what we are as well as what we're not. What do you mean by that? Well, it, clarity doesn't just mean what we are, right? It, it, clarity is so difficult. It, it, I just did a program uh, for a group of financial advisors in San Diego, California, and they all mm-hmm. said, well, we're, we're really clear about what we are. And I said, okay, what are you not? And they didn't know what I meant by that. I said, okay, the, you say, and I pointed to one, you said, our, my focus is on surgeons. I'm absolutely focused on helping surgeons uh, build their financial, pra- you know, build their, their finances. I said, man, that's right. absolutely great. Hey, by the way, I just won the lottery. I have $5 million to invest. Am I a client? <laughs> and if you say yes to that, you've just told me you're not as client. <laughs> you've just blown that exactly. away. Exactly. Yep. And that that is so hard for businesses because they, uh, they everybody wants to tell you what they are but at what point do you say what you are not and mm-hmm. it's really no, no one is loyal to a generic and it's it's almost impossible to find a really significant business that that is trying to be all things to all people uh, here in the states we have Walmart you know people say well Walmart's all things to all people yeah. really try to buy a pair of cufflinks there. Try to buy a tuxedo. Try to try to buy a fine suit. 
they, they know who they are. And then, but knowing who they are also means they know who they're not. And, and that yeah. is a, a, a fundamental essence of creating distinction. And you know, I have a very important point to make about Walmart. If you're ever in Orlando, do not go near one at eight o'clock on a Friday night. You will not leave there for three hours. <laughs> that place is busy, busy, busy. They know exactly who their market is. And, uh, and you know, if and, and no great retailer does. Yeah, absolutely. No great retailer yeah. at all. Uh, I, I'm I'm loving chatting, but I'm also conscious of time. Scott, could you leave us with one big thing, one golden nugget, one thought, one something that people could do in their business today to make their business better for today and for the years to come? What might that be? Oh, what a great question, James. You know, this sounds so simple, but it's so difficult to do. Um, walk through your business and do so with the eyes of a customer or take a customer with you and walk side by side as they go through the process. Uh, whether it's, you know, if, if you're a phone business set, set with a prospect by a speakerphone as they try to buy your product or service or get, you know, the, mm-hmm. I, I just did a program with Disney. And one of the things they talked about is that Walt Disney would go out in Disneyland and would find, you know, parents with a child and say, can, can I borrow your five-year-old for the next couple of hours? Because he <laughs> wanted to walk with the child and see the park through the child's eyes, not his own. To right. learn how customers see what you do. Uh, I, I had a chiropractor, I was speaking to a group of chiropractors, and we were talking about uh, one, of, one of my big things is the ultimate customer experience. Here in the States, we own the, the trademark on that term. And, and mm-hmm. one of the things he was doing, and, and of course his, his heart was in the right place, right? He was parking in, in the rear of the office building because he wanted to save the, the spots up front for his patients because as a chiropractor, many mm-hmm. of them had back problems and had trouble. You know, the, he was trying to do the right thing, but it also meant he hadn't walked yeah. in the front door of his own office for, for a while. So he, right. he does that. And he said, I noticed, you know, there were a couple of weeds here, but and the landscaping didn't look real sharp. So he said, I called a landscaper. They planted a couple of new bushes. They pulled the weeds. And he said, here's the terrifying thing. Every patient for the next week mentioned it. And I said, well, wow. I don't quite get it. Why, why is that terrifying? He said, don't you get it? it? They wouldn't notice the new landscaping if they hadn't previously noticed the weeds. He said, one patient even said, you know, I kind of wondered how good of a doctor you could be if you couldn't even take care of your front door. Right? <laughs> Goodness and me. So, you know, and you mentioned that, and uh, you mentioned Disney a moment yeah. ago. You know, they dust the plants, and there's a really good reason for it. Yeah, the magic's in what you don't see. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, thank you so, so much. It's been great chatting with you. James, what a thrill. This has really been a lot of fun, and I, I, I look forward to continuing the conversation down the road as well. That's great. Cheers, Scott. I hope you really enjoyed this episode of The Only One Business Show, and I look forward to sharing your company again very soon. If you'd like to subscribe, please do so wherever you pick up your podcasts, and in the meantime, have a great day. Bye for now.